It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest episode of the Giants Huddle Podcast. This week's guest, former Giants linebacker Jonathan Casillas. But before we get to Jonathan, I want to remind everybody, you can find the Giants Huddle Podcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Just search for Giants Huddle Podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcast, please leave a five-star positive review if you like what you hear. You can also find us on the Giants mobile app and on Giants.com. Jonathan Casillas, two-time Super Bowl champion, once with the Saints, one with the Patriots, and, and honestly, one of my favorite guys to talk to in the Giants locker room in the last 13 years that I've been working with the team. Always smart guy to talk to, very thoughtful. John, long time no speak, my friend. John Schmunk and Lance Meadow on Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com. Uh, we hope you and your family are safe and healthy. How's everything going? Everything's going well, man. Thanks for that. And um, Schmelk, you got me over here. Bless it, man. I appreciate those words. Hey, no, man, dude, I'm serious. I love talking to you because you're, you know, you studied the game, and I really appreciate it when somebody studies the game and they really, you know, take a real hard look at things and able to really talk about things, you know, with with some real deep thought behind it. And I want to start here, Jonathan, because one of the things that I always remember you talking about in the locker room is the story of when you got traded to the New England Patriots midseason back in 2014 and you asked for a defensive playbook. Can you tell the folks how that conversation went? Well, yeah, so um, just to give a little backstory, I was playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the time and um, we were fighting every week to be the worst team in the league with the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> I, think, I think we were 0 for, you know, 0 for 7, 0 for 8 by the time I, you know, I ended up getting traded to New England, and first day in the building, you know, I tried to get there as early as possible. You know, I woke up super early for the pickup, the car that's going to pick me up so I can, you know, get in the building and get my playbook and, you know, start getting after it right away because, you know, Bill told me the day before, you know, when I was in Tampa, he's like, look, we're, you're playing on Sunday, so you better be here tomorrow for practice. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm just, just going to stop living in Tampa and just move to New England right away. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Fine. Okay, cool. So I did that and, um, you know, try to get try to be in the building as, fat, as early as possible so I could get, you know, caught up on at least to be prepared for Wednesday, you know, to get through Wednesday. And first person I see is Tom Brady. He welcomes me to the Patriots. Hey, Casillas, you know, it's good to have you on board. And now I'm walking in the building, head high, chest up, like, oh, I'm, a, I'm a Patriot now, you know. So that was good. But, you know, right away I asked um, the D coordinator, um, uh, Pat, uh, Matt Patricia, excuse me, uh, was like, hey, you know, I would like to get the playbook so I can get going on the defensive terminology, uh, you know, the schemes. And, and him and Pat Graham was like, yeah, um, see, the thing is with that, he was like, look, just, just take these three pieces of paper, three pieces of paper. Now, I know we've all seen Smoke. You've been around long, man, you too. We've seen the old paper playbooks, not the die pads, but the paper playbooks. They're like five inches thick. You know what I mean? And yep. that's what I'm used to, that much information, you know. And he gave me three pieces of paper to get ready to play Peyton Manning on Sunday. <laughs> and I was, like, so thrown off by it. Um, but it ended up working out. There was some terminology that I didn't know. But, you know, that's the Patriots, man. You know, they want to give you too much, you know. And it's like, look. They don't want to overwhelm you as well. So I think they were doing both myself and the organization a favor because they're like maybe we don't know if Casillas is really going to work out. So 
you know, we don't want to give him too much. And at the same time, it's like, well, maybe he will, he'll get overwhelmed if we give him too much. You know, so I kind of saw it as that. But it was interesting that they only gave me three pages to get prepared to play the Peyton Manning-led Denver Broncos on Sunday. It was very interesting. Wild experience, as you just noted. Now, John, I'm curious, then as the weeks progressed, when you look back at your experience on New England's defense, prior to arriving in New England, you had worked with a lot of different defensive coordinators. You had been exposed to a lot of defenses. I believe, what, you had Greg Williams and Spags in New Orleans. You had Bill Sheridan in Tampa Bay. So, you know, you had a variety of different schemes. How much different was life in New England on defense versus what you had previously experienced, just in terms of week-to-week preparation and terminology? Well, it was very different, and um, they're really big. I mean, everybody game plans, but they're really big into manipulating their own defense uh, every week you know, to go against what the other offense has. Um, And that's unlike anywhere I've been, you know. Defensive coordinators, they have their own style of defense. You know, some some, uh, defensive coordinators are, like, aggressive and they blitz a lot. And, you know, they they carry that. And then, of course, they throw in – they self-scout and they throw in their curveballs every now and again. You know, and that goes for the same for, you know, uh, coaches that, you know, are probably more zoned. Uh, zone playing coaches, you know, they stick to that. New England, I don't, I mean, Matt Patricia was a defensive coordinator, but you had so much input from all the other coaches that ultimately Bill Belichick was the micromanager of the entire team. And usually when people say micromanager, it's not really like an, a, term of, a term of endearment. You right. know, it's, it's more like your micromanaging is too much for you to handle. But Bill is such a great coach, and he's such a great mind that him micromanaging the whole team is how the Patriots have success. And for every week, just like offensively you have a game plan, defensively the entire playbook is manipulated every week. So I think that was kind of the reason that they didn't give me the playbook in the beginning because every week it's different, and every week they attack the offense differently every week. And that's – I mean, like I said, there's – I've been Spags, you know, good defensive coordinator. I've been around, you know, defensive coordinator Greg Williams, you know, where, you know, they have a game plan and then you manipulate it a little bit. They manipulate before they even, like, install. Like, they're already changing the whole entire defense before you even get to the week, uh, given the offense that you're playing. And for anybody that knows football, that's that's a lot to ask, you know, for, uh, you know, a defense to basically have a different identity every week. Um, but that's what the Patriots are all about. It's not about what we do good as in the Patriots. It's not about what the Patriots do good. It's about what the other team does well, and let's stop them from doing what they do well so we have a chance to win the game. You know, Jonathan, I think that was the other part of the story that I remember. You said, well, why don't you just give me what you guys did for install in in training camp and in the spring? And they kind of said to you, well, that really doesn't apply anymore. And you were like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. So if you can – just talk about some examples. How much can change week to week? Are we talking, you know, tendencies of blitzing, you know, who the top corner covers, who gets doubled? Or are we talking basics like three, four-man front, how you do gap integrity? Like, how deep do the changes actually go week to week depending on the opponent? Well, and, and, and that's a great question you ask. And I'm going to be honest with you. It, it varies so much from week to week. You know, let's say we're going against a team – you know, who has shown that they struggled against a five-man front, 
and the nose guard in front of their center, you know, that was the front we're going to play that week. Wow. You know, no matter what we played the week before, because we know this team struggles against a five-man front, we're playing a five-man front. That's what we're doing because that's what this team struggles with, right? And let's say there's another team, right, that has a great receiver, right? We're going to roll to the receiver. And, and back then in 2014, you got to listen to the cornerbacks we had. You know, Darrell Rivas, Brandon Browner, who was 6'4", 225 pounds. <laughs> uh, Logan Ryan, Kyle Arrington. Oh, I'm, I'm almost forgot. Malcolm Butler <laughs> was, a, was a rookie coming off the bench at this time. But we were, we were pretty loaded and stacked, and that allowed a lot of versatility for the defense. So we would go in the game and we would lock Rebus on the number two. And if the number one was really good, we would send Brandon Browner over there to beat the receiver up and have McCourty over top. Wow. And then you got Logan Ryan playing her number three or Kyle Arrington playing her number three. And it was a lot of things that we would do, like I would get in the game and match up on the back. You know, there were certain things that you would do given uh, the team. And I'm, like I'm saying, there is like, it don't be like, you know, there's carryover from week to week. There's like no carryover. You know, if you're playing a running team one week, and then a passing team the next week, your defense, the Patriots' defense, is probably going to be totally different. You know, the front might be different. The guys on the team may be different, as in that 11 to 13 guy rotation or even 15, that will be totally different. They might have, a, a you know, three or four new DBs starting this week, a, a couple guys rotating in, maybe a linebacker that hasn't played in three weeks, but – you know, we need more linebackers because we're playing a 3-4 this week instead of a 4-3. Like, there's so many things that vary. Um, and I think, you know, for you to have success in New England, you got to be versatile. You know, you got to be able to be a, a – a, what's the, the Swiss Army knife? you got to be a Swiss Army knife. you got to be able to do multiple things, and that adds so much value to you. And a lot of players that go to New England, they can do so many different things for them, and that's why they have success. We're talking with former Giants linebacker Jonathan Casillas, who was in New England for half of 2014 here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. So I guess the million-dollar question now, Jonathan, that at least Giants fans are asking, based on what you just described and experienced in terms of the structure and fluidity of the New England defense, well, how much is Patrick Graham now going to bring that style to the team? And we look at Matt Patricia, who you were with. He's now the head coach of the Lions. Brian Flores, who was on the staff, he's now in Miami. How much do you think Patrick Graham is going to take from the Bill Belichick coaching style versus twist it and turn it into his own thing? I think he's going to do both. You know, I think it would be, um, you know, uh, it really would it make sense for him and, and, and to not use what he's been taught by one of the greatest coaches of our time in any sport. Um, but then also, you know, identifying who you have on the roster, uh, who you have, you know, to work with, and then putting your own identity on it. And, you know, I feel like Pat Graham, he's learned so much. And, you know, he's a guy that has been so versatile. You know, he was a linebacker coach, a mm-hmm. D-line coach, a DB, and a defensive coordinator. and You know, kind of been all over the place. But I think that versatility is going to give him, you know, uh, um, you know, it has given him a lot of, um, you know, education in different parts of the game. You know, I think, and that's going to translate over to him being a great defensive coordinator. You know, because 
it's not just the X's and O's, you know. It's it's identifying with the players you got in the locker room, you know. And a lot of great coaches sometimes don't be great people. People, uh, people uh, uh, great player coaches, you know, not player friendly. And I think that transition over the years, you know, while when I got in the league in 2009, you know, to what I finished in 2017, that has transitioned to being, you know, if you're not a player coach, you really can't survive with this new generation. You know, so it's a little bigger than the X's and O's. It's about culture, you know, and having the players trust and believe in you. And I think Pat Graham has risen to that, to where he's been, the, he's, uh, he's gotten the defensive coordinator job, and the people and the players will believe in him because I feel like he is a player, is a coach that believes in the players, not the scheme, not that he makes all the good ideas, but the guys that he put in certain positions you know, because of his education and everything that he's learned, but also his study and his due diligence on those guys, that they'll be put in the right place to win. And that's what the Giants needed. You know, I feel like over the last three or four years, uh, the Giants have gotten rid of some of their prime-time defensive players, you know, whether that's due to culture, whether that's due to off-the-field issues, whatever whatever the deal is. You can't continue to do that. You can't continue to get rid of your good players thinking the coaches are going to be the ones that makes the big difference. When we all know the players run the NFL, the players are the face of the league, the players are the guys out there playing. You know, so we got to focus on the players. And when you have a coach that is X's and O's, you know, uh, a genius in X's and O's and can put players in the right position to be successful – that's when you have success. It's a combination of all those things, and I feel like now the Giants are finally taking a step in the right direction. Yeah, John, I think you hit it on the head. You know, the old expression, it's about the Jimmys and Joes, not the X's and O's. And I, th- yeah. I think you're 100% right, and that's something Joe Judge has stressed, that you have to build what you do around the talent on your roster. And one thing that Blake Martinez said to us, you know, he was coached by Patrick Graham in Green Bay, the one year he coached linebackers there. He said he never felt so prepared for an opponent each week than when Graham got him ready for those opponents. What was it about, you think, when you were with him in New England that he talked to you guys about and got you ready each week that really helped you guys once the ball was snapped on the field so you were prepared for everything that specific opponent was going to try to throw at you? Well, he really cares about his job, you know. He really cares about the game, you know, and and he studies it. You know, he wants everybody in the room to be just as knowledgeable, just as knowledgeable as he is. And I saw that when I was there. And, of course, not getting a playbook the first week was nerve-wracking for me, you know, especially when Bill's like, you're going to play defense. And I'm like, how do I play defense? And I only know three calls. Like, how is that going to work? <laughs> but, but Pat Graham, he, like, I when I was there, he gave me extra time. You know, he would stay after for me and, you know, kind of talk me through certain things and, you know, I would stay after practice and with the younger guys, you know, the younger guys would be there at the practice. And I wasn't really that young at the time. You know, we were talking about rookies and second-year guys. And I stayed after, and Pat Graham would walk me through certain things and made sure that I was ready. You know, he wasn't going to throw me out there, you know, if I wasn't ready and prepared. And I would, I'm the same way. And, you know, I feel like bringing that attitude to New York, you know, and with this generation I think is perfect. You know, because at the end of the day, preparation is everything, you know, and, and 
from my time, my little time that I was in New England, I felt New England did a great job, probably the best in the league at preparing their guys every weekend. You know, the talent sometimes didn't add up to the amount of wins that they had at the end of the year. But that's why the, the, the franchise was so strong for so long. You know, and I'm hoping that, you know, Joe Judge and Pat Graham, you know, all of the things that they've learned from, from Bill Belichick, that they can bring it over to New York. And this is the new coaching tree. You know, the old coaching tree was was Bill Parcells and all of the guys that followed underneath him. Yeah, Bill know, Walsh too, right? Belichick's. Yeah. Right, yeah, yes, Bill Walsh. And, and I'm talking about the direct Parcells, the lineage, yep. you know, the yep. Coughlins and the Sean Paytons and all of those guys who've had tremendous success, you know, in their own right and won Super Bowls in their own right. This is the new, you know, uh, uh, coaching tree from Bill Belichick. And I'm hoping we got one of the guys <laughs> that's going to be the new Bill Belichick, be the new Sean Payton and Joe Judge. Um, and, like, I'm excited about it. I was excited about the hire. I know nobody knew him, but I'm like, I know Joe Judge. I know Joe Judge. <laughs> I, I was excited. You know, nobody was like, I don't know who is Joe Judge. It was a surprise for me. But at the same time, when you go back and you sit down and think about the candidates and you look and it's like, all right, we're going to give somebody with the potential to be – you know, be basically the next Bill Belichick. And, you know, for, for – and it's, it's potential, and everything's done on potential usually. You know, you, you go off what people have done, and sometimes they don't do as much as the next person, so you go off potential. You know, and, and I'm hopeful that we do have the next Bill Belichick. I'm hopeful. I'm not saying he is, but I'm hopeful. And um, it will be good for the New Jersey and New York area, that's for sure. Well, you just brought up Joe Judge, and you absolutely got to know him, as you mentioned, Jonathan, in 2014. Scott O'Brien was the special teams coach, so at that point, Joe Judge was the special teams assistant. What was the extent of your interaction with Joe Judge as the assistant special teams coach, and what did you see in him, Jonathan, that perhaps when you heard he became the Giants head coach, you said to yourself, yeah, you know what? I think this guy had the material to now make the transition. You know, at first, you know, when I met Joe, uh, he, like like you said, he was the the special teams assistant, and Scotty O was the uh, we call him Scotty O. He's the uh, the special teams coordinator, so he's doing more of like the logistics and the big picture, you know, uh, and and then. Joe would take it and break it down for me, like the small picture, the details. And, you know, like, hey, he already knew exactly, like, the stuff I've been doing on special teams. Like, he knew everything. He's like, yeah, I saw that one game when you played a little bit of defense, but then you were playing on three three core and you had a great play on. And I'm like, dang, like, they, these dudes know who I am. Like, <laughs> not just like a guy that's, you know, a good teammate, but like, they know that week four against Philly, you know, whatever, I had like three tackles on special teams. Like, they know all of this information. They're uber-prepared. Um, and Joe Judge, you know, being – John, when you're low on the totem pole, you know, when you're not a, a, a coordinator, you're an assistant coach, the responsibilities and the amount of studying you have to do, I think, is a lot more. Yeah. And especially when you're special teams because – you have to understand both offense and defense and special teams. You know, you have to be well aware of the things, of timing on the sideline during games, of uh, certain uh, uh, practice times where special teams is done, uh, the amount of reps that offensive and defensive players that you have on your three-core, 
are getting, you know, the reps that they're getting, you have to be mindful. So a special teams coordinator, especially an assistant special teams coordinator, you know, they're going and they know they know the entire roster, you know, from 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 the quarterback to the holder. You know, he knows the entire roster. And Joe Judge, you know, me and him had some personal conversations because I'm not a guy that's going to sit down and be like, I'm just going to go out there. Like, I want to learn as much as I can. And I want to do and be prepared as much as I can. So when Scotty O was busy talking to Slater and, you know, and uh, Browner and, uh, excuse me, Bolden and, you know, all of those special teams guys, I'm over here asking Joe Judge, like, hey, Joe, you know, what do you think about uh, this scheme and me doing this on that? And he would break it down for me. So he was a guy that played his role, uh, you know, better than any role player that, you know, that could possibly be a role player. Uh, to the point where, you know, he wasn't even like that guy on the Patriots, but he did his job so well. John, he did his job so well that now he's the head football coach of the New York Giants. Like, he wasn't the guy. He was never the guy. You know, he was always, you know, the second guy or, or the third guy as in the special teams coordinator. You know, and, and he wasn't the special teams coordinator for that long, but he did such a good job. He, was impre- he impressed so many people that, you know, he ended up getting his job. And I think that he has a lot to prove, just like anybody. And, you know, it's going to be tough. This is freaking New York. You know, this, ain't, <laughs> this ain't no walk in the park. No. You know what I mean? Like, this is this going to be very, very tough, very difficult. The media is going to get after him. But I feel like how he came out and addressed the media the first day, you know, kind of laying the, the law down as the judge, you know, I think he, he's in, he's, uh, he took the right step forward. And now we're going to see how things play out. And, you know, we want to get the right people in the building. We want to see, you know, the right things being done off the field as well as on the field. You know, because it's a long time coming. Uh, John, you know, my, the, the 2016 season when we, when we went to the, the playoffs and we lost to Green Bay, you know, if you take that season away, the Giants have not been good. And, 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 and I, got, I just got goosebumps talking about that because, you know, I'm a Jersey boy through and through. Yeah, I know, you know it. And, yep. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, basically after, you know, the Super Bowl in 2010 and 11, you know, the Giants really had one good season when I was there. That's it. And and think about all the talent, all the good running backs, you know, the Bradshaws, the Barclays. You know, we had a, you know, a prime-time elite quarterback for 17 years. Um, you know, like – how 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 have the, how has the Giants been so bad? So like I'm hopeful. You know I know a lot of guys are hopeful. John Lance, I know y'all are hopeful. Yeah, we are. You know so you know let's let's all keep putting that positive energy out there and let's see how Joe Judge, Pat Graham, and everybody does, and and Chuck and Jason Garrett too. Wow, saying that name. Last one from me on on Judge Jonathan. What's the biggest challenge you think for him? Uh, this year, we know you have this unique off season. Guys are doing everything virtually. You know, as a player, you know, and, you know, he, he. You mentioned the difference between being assistant and being a head coach. You're dealing with almost completely different things in terms of managing logistics versus, you know, really player on player X's and O stuff. What's going to be the biggest challenge for you, big picture wise, for Joe Judge in his first year making that transition in this unique environment? I think uh, because. Being the head coach, you know, you kind of can do and, and, and you kind of have as much power, um, you know, so it's like, 
you know, you're given this power. Do you do you do you use it all or do you delegate it out? You know, do you delegate this power, this voice that you have, this influence that you have? You know, you can either take that and dominate, you know, be the micromanager that Bill Belichick was, or see yourself for the person you truly are. You know, if you're a role player, then excel in that role. And then eventually, of course, you know, you can grow. And I feel like Joe Judge right now, he's not the head coach that he can possibly be. No one is who they possibly can be, who they possibly can be when they first start out. So you let guys like Patrick Graham and Jason Garrett, guys who have been there, I mean, you know, he was a head coach of the Cowboys, you know, and you allow them to do their jobs, you know, and you learn from them. You know, you pick their brains. You call Matt Patricia over in Detroit and see what's going on with him and Brian Flores and you stay on that call every week with Bill Belichick. You do these things, and you keep bringing up who you are as a player, excuse me, as a coach, as a man, you know, as somebody who carries an organization with him and behind him, you know, a whole band of brothers and men behind you. You know that as a leader, you got to keep improving and not try to dominate or, you know, have your power over the team you know, uh, on a consistent basis, delegate the power, delegate the, uh, you know, the coaching responsibilities to guys who have been there before. You know, and I feel like for Joe Judge to do a great job, it has to be a collective unit from all of the coaches and the power and the, and the um, responsibility has to be dispersed the right way. And I think the reason why he hired the guys he hired is because he's going to do that. So that's why I'm excited because I feel like he's not going to try to overpower the Giants and be like, this is how I am. You know, this is me. Do it this way. I think he's going to be, you know, very empathetic about listening to his players, listening to his coaches, and allowing them to do what they do best for the Giants' success. You just laid out the transition, Jonathan, that Joe Judge is going to have to make. And on top of that, he also has to navigate uncharted territory, as you well know, in terms of what's going on in the country with respect to this offseason and the global pandemic. I'm curious your perspective because you were with the Saints in 2011. That was the lockout year. And if memory serves me correct, you didn't have a lot of turnover. The coaching staff under Sean Payton pretty much remained intact with your coordinators, the core of the team. So I would think that probably aided you guys, given the fact that you had a shortened training camp. But the Giants don't have that luxury, as you well know, Jonathan. Completely new coaching staff, a lot of new young players, as you noted. How much of a disadvantage is that for Joe Judge and the rest of this team compared to what you experienced in 2011 with the Saints? Well, I mean, you can see it as a disadvantage, you know, but also an, an opportunity, you know, to, you know, everybody hasn't been together. You know, this is, um, you know, uh, off season that has been like any other, um, you know, because even back then, you know, when they canceled, you know, off-season activities and, you know, they pushed back training camp, you know, we were still uh, allowed to gather, you know, with the, with the group, you know, with all the social media uh, guidelines, social media, social distancing uh, guidelines, you know, restricting people from actually being together. It puts everybody in the league um, in a, you know, in a, I guess in the same type of, um, you know, situation to where nobody has been together, 
you know, and like I said, back in um, 2010, going into 11, you know, uh, that was the year where the New Orleans Saints, we practiced at Tulane, and it was led by Breeze and Vilma, but we were all together, you know, but yeah. no one is together in the entire league. You know, no one was able to get together with all the guys and do what they're supposed to do. And if they did, I mean, it probably wasn't as normal, like, uh, you know, uh, uh Eli would take guys down to Duke and do his thing, you know, but like that wasn't able to happen. Like there was a lot of things that wasn't able to happen. So it's almost like, you know, it's 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 a disadvantage for everybody. So that puts an advantage back into Joe Judge's and the Giants' uh, court because it's a disadvantage for everybody. You know, having you know a new coaching staff is always a time and um, you know place where it's going to be some, you know, some 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 tough, some tough times, you know, and some transitions to happen and, you know, uh, culture being established. But, you know, now that we, we all had to go through the COVID pandemic situation, I feel like everybody has to make up ground, you know, and I think it kind of levels the playing field a little bit more. I think it could be advantageous for the Giants because it's like everybody's starting at the same mm. time. And, you know, we're back – Giants and the Jets, they were back a little bit earlier than everybody else, if I'm not mistaken. You know, so I believe that they were still doing, um, you know, virtual things to stay in contact with the guys. You know, but now we're going to see, you know, what what everybody's been doing. We're going to see, you know, the approach to how we're going to, you know, start this season because this is something that no one has been a part of. Um, And like I said, it's a disadvantage for everybody, and that might have been an advantage for the Giants. Jonathan, final question. I want to go back to the defense for just a second. We really appreciate all the time. This is just tremendous insight. We, it, it, it's great. Thank you. Um, how tough is it going to be for a defense that's as young as the Giants' defense is, especially in the defensive backfield? They have James Bradbury, otherwise a bunch of guys that are in their first, second, third seasons, to have a defense that changes so much week to week. Is that going to be a real challenge for the coaching staff to have those guys ready? Are the coaching staff, are they going to have to pull back a little bit based on the youth and the defense? How do you think that's going to work? I think you got to feel out and see what type of guys that you have, you know, and see what they're capable of handling, you know, because you don't want to put, um, you know, young guys out there um, that can't handle what you're doing, you know, so you might have to keep it simple. You know, they say keep it simple, stupid. You know, just just so you don't have, you know, guys out there looking confused. And when I watched the Giants last year, I feel like that's what I saw. And then you would listen to the younger guys' interviews, and they always said the same thing. It's like, yeah, we're just gelling together. We're all just trying to, you know, figure out where everybody belongs at. And I'm like, bro, it's week 10. What do you mean? What do you you mean it's week 10, bro? It's not training camp. Um, You know, so, you know, I I feel like, look, you know, if you got a whole bunch of guys – you know, who, uh, you know, struggle with learning multiple coverages, then keep it simple. You know, like, let's not try to confuse the other team, but in the process we're confusing our guys. You know, and I felt like there was a lot of confusion um, uh, throughout the Giants' defense last year, and it was kind of hard to watch. You know, and that there's no easy answer to that. You know, it's like, is it the coach? Is it the scheme? Is it the guys? Uh, the players, it's all, it's a combination, you know, it's a combination of all of those things. And, you know, everybody has to be on the same page and you have to learn every week. You know, we're going to go, we're going to make mistakes. And I say we, as in every single person in the world, of course, going to make a mistake, you know, in anything that they do, especially if you're just starting out, you know, so I think 
what the Giants should do is just keep it simple early. You know, do what they do what they do, but keep it simple early. Don't add in thirty seven blitzes on Thursday because that's what you've been doing for the last ten years. You know, maybe add in a couple and then maybe next week add in a couple. Don't overwhelm your guys because when you overwhelm your guys and you got, you know, guys like uh, uh, Baker, DeAndre Baker, who was tremendous in college, but all of a sudden he gets in the league and he can't play. Like he can't play to the level that he was playing at. I think because he was thinking too much. I think because he was, you know, he wasn't confident about what he was doing out there. You know, and, and I think you've seen that a lot throughout the entire defense. And, you know, look, I'm not a D coordinator. I just know guys. You know, I've been a guy who struggled at times with schemes. And then later on in my career, you know, I was able to pick up defenses like it wasn't nothing because I was able to do that. And I had to learn to do that. You know, but everybody's different. You have to be able to identify who you have, you know, and teach them accordingly, you know, and then have everybody on the same page. So keep it simple, stupid, early, you know, and then build on it, you know, and then let your young players have success because they know what they're doing. You know, I feel like that didn't happen with the Giants last year. A lot of guys, you know, week 10 and week 11, they're like, yeah, you know, we're just, you know, getting to know each other. You know, we're starting to gel. And I'm just laughing, like, starting to gel? Like, y'all pass y'all bye week? Like, you know, like, <laughs> like, it's November. Like, what are we talking about here? But, you know, that that's not always on the players. You know, that's a collective effort. You know, if they're they're giving you too much work, you know, they're giving you, you know, advanced algebra, you know, in, in calculus, and, you know, you're on addition and subtraction. <laughs> like, there's going to be some... Um, That's a problem. Know, some, um, <laughs> some problems there, to say the least. So, you know, I think it's a, it's not an easy solve. It's not an easy fix. But there is an approach that I feel like you should take to it, and I hope they do, because it's, a, it's not going to be easy. But I think the Giants deserve some, some, winning, some winning seasons, uh, you know, coming. It's been a long time coming for that. It has indeed. And Jonathan, speaking of the dynamics of the defense, and once again, greatly appreciate the time and insight today, as John noted. Before we let you go, I'm looking at the Patriots sack distribution from 2014 when you were on the team. And a lot of people look at the Giants' pass rush potential this season, and they say, well, there's only one guy that's had a double-digit sack season on the team, and that's Kyler Fackrell, the one year he was with Patrick Graham in Green Bay. The year you were with New England— you had six or seven guys that chipped in in the sack department, and nobody actually reached double digits. Rob Ninkovich was the highest with eight, and Chandler Jones that season had six because he was limited to 10 games. When you think back to 2014, what do you attribute? Why was it that you still managed to get 40 sacks as a group and how Patrick Graham may need to rely on that philosophy this year as opposed to one guy in particular doing the heavy lifting? Well, it's a collective effort. You know, when the guys in the back end are covering and the quarterback is holding the ball for an extra second or two on a consistent basis, you know, that allows for your four-man rush to get there. That allows for your extra blitzer to get there and um, take away that, you know, that hot route pass from, um, you know, the quarterback um, that they do when they see blitzes. You know, it's a collective effort. You know, I think unless you have, uh, you know, I just talked to JPP two days ago. He said he's going to break Michael Strahan's record. That's what JPP told me. So if he didn't put it out there yet, I'm putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> he told me that. But, like, you know, we don't have a JPP, at least stat-wise. You know what I mean? I'm not yeah. saying that there's not a guy that can go out there and do what JPP did. Well, I don't think that can happen because he's a freak of nature. But, you know, 
got to have a it's a collective effort. You know, if if you have a guy who can come out of nowhere, you know, and have a great season like so many guys have done, uh, you know, and have a breakout tremendous 15 plus sack season, that'll be great. But don't get it twisted. It's not a one man wrecking show when that happens. It's the DBs covering for a little longer. It's the linebackers getting snugging up on those checkdowns. It's whoever is actually blitzing free, blitzing with no wasted steps. You know, like it's a collective effort. And for the Giants to get to where they want to get to, to be able to pressure the quarterbacks that they want to, the DBs have to cover. You know, the linebackers have to get the call out and get everybody lined up and cover and do their things they're supposed to do. And then also the front need to be shared, and y'all need to be running the right defenses to put you in the right position to have success. So there's so many different things that go into it. But short, my short answer, even though I just did a long answer, <laughs> it has to be a collective effort. You know, there's not going to be a, a, a guy that has 20 sacks and that the, um, the DBs aren't worth a damn. It's just not going to happen. You know, it's a collective effort. Um, Von Miller has had so many sacks, but – you can't say they didn't have tremendous cornerbacks and defensive backs his yep. entire tenure there. You know, so it's like, yes, he's going to have sacks, and yes, they're going to have, you know, good defenders in the back end, but they help each other. You know, once you get those pressures out and you get those tips and you get those, you know, hits on the quarterback, all of a sudden the ball comes out. The ball is a little bit higher than it's supposed to be, coming out a little bit quicker than it's supposed to be. Those, those PBUs, the interceptions, fumble recoveries, like all of those things add up. And it doesn't just start with a pass rush. You know, it does, people say it starts with a pass rush. It doesn't just start with a pass rush because I don't care how good the pass rush is. If the cover, if the, deep, the defensive back can't cover, it don't matter. If they're not securing, uh, you know, uh, getting that ball out under, uh, um, excuse me, if they're not holding the ball for longer than three seconds, it don't matter. Yep. You know, so yep. it's a collective effort. Uh, you know, I think the Giants, um, you know, are positioning themselves to be a good team. You know, but um, we're going to see. You know, I'm very excited about, you know, who's on the roster and who they brought in. Um, I think Marcus Golden is, is tremendous. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see, man. You know, I'm excited. I'm excited that football is going to be back. It's going to be weird. What do you guys think is going to happen with, the, with, the, with fans? Like, what's going to happen with that? Oh boy, yeah, it's a good yeah. question, man. Uh, look, they're going to try because obviously I, I can't imagine how weird it's going to be. You're watching a football game and it's just silence except for guys talking. It's just weird. They're going to try to do fans, but look, Jonathan, here's the deal. And look, you know this. They, you have to err on the side of safety, and you got to be careful. So hopefully it works out, but I, I don't think there's any way to know. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, well, I think all of us are living day-to-day right now, right? We kind of got to figure <laughs> out as we go along. Yeah. Jonathan, yeah. it's as fluid as the Patriots' defense every week. I think that would be the best parallel. <laughs> it's a big question mark. Just take these three pieces of paper, and that's how you go. That's what you go about your day with. Jonathan, good stuff, man. Do you have a message or anything you want to promote? Anything you want to say to Giant fans out there that are listening to this? The floor is yours. Well, you know, for, for number one, you know, with everything going on, you know, I want to say uh, uh, Black Lives Matter. You know, and when people hear that, don't get offended by it. And if you are getting offended about it. Do your research. Understand why it's being said. You know, understand that there are, you know, things that, that are going on in this country that aren't right. You know, and it's not always just a color thing. You know, it's like a love and hate thing and compassion and empathy thing. You know, if you don't have love in your heart for everybody, then that's something wrong. Yep. You know, and, and you know, it's hard and it's difficult for me 
but I know it's even worse for other people. Imagine George Floyd's family, you know, and all of, you know, Ahmaud Arbery and all of the people that have, you know, loved ones taken from them from an unfortunate uh, situation. But too many of these things have happened, and we, we can't stand by and allow these things to continue to happen. So educate yourself, um, you know, do right, promote love, promote unity, have compassion, have empathy, you know, be an open book, you know, and protect your brother. You know, your brother might not look the same as you, you know, but we're all in this together. You know, we all came together for COVID, right, John? Yeah. We all came together yeah. during the pandemic and said, we got to do it together. You know, but this thing been going on for so long. And now that people, our eyes are open and their hearts are open. Now let's understand just like we did the COVID, we got to do this together too. You know, and um, that's my say on that. Um, my Ford Progress Camp, uh, we've been doing some uh, digital virtual uh, courses, uh, with like a summit we've been doing, like a leadership summit we've been doing every every Thursday for the last few weeks. Uh, so I'm posting that on my website, uh, FordProgressCamp.com. Follow me on Instagram, Jade underscore 52. Um, you know, shoot me a message. I'm always here, John and Lance. Thanks for having me on. Much appreciated. Good talking to you guys. It's been a long time. Hey, Jonathan, God bless, man. Great message. We echo it. Um, and that's, uh, let's try to do this more regularly, man. This was fantastic. Let's talk soon. Yeah, really appreciate yeah. it, Jonathan. Thanks so much. Y'all got my number. Hit me up. Oh, anytime, my man. Thanks, Jonathan. Be good. <laughs> Stay safe. Yeah, All take right, care, Jonathan. Send the best of the family. That's Jonathan Casillas. I wasn't lying, folks. Great interview, great guy, and he really was one of my favorites uh, in the locker room over the past decade plus talking to Giants players. Really smart, thoughtful, intelligent guy. We thank him for being with us, and we thank Lance Meadow as well for helping out with that interview that you originally heard on Big Blue Kickoff. And of course, before we say goodbye, I want to remind you that you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms, the Giants mobile app, and on Giants.com slash podcast, where you can find all the offerings on our Giants podcast network, including the Giants Huddle, Giants Rewind with Carl Banks, and Big Blue Kickoff Live, our daily call-in show, which is interview originally aired on, which is every day at noon. For Lance and Jonathan, I'm John Schmelk. Stay safe, everybody. Have a great day.